today on Ag News Daily. I know that the data from Iowa State says uh, planted after June 5th would, would cause a 25% yield drag on average. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this hashtag Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Before we get to our market discussion with our good friend Matt Bennett, let's say hello to our co-hosts, the wonderful Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Oh, thank you. I like that. Wonderful Delaney Howell. That's uh, probably about the only compliment I've gotten from you in a long time. You get <laughs> lots of compliments from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I of course you do. I'm very complimentary of all the things you do. Like you're really good at being mean to me. <laughs> I like being mean to you. I know. So snickering on the other end of that line <laughs> was our fellow co-host, Ms. Madison Honkamp. Madison, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. What about you? You know, I can't complain one bit. The sun is out. I'm seeing a lot of folks hauling corn to the local elevator. Guys and gals are making progress. It will be mm-hmm. very interesting to see the mm-hmm. planting progress and crop conditions report out later this afternoon. I know. I'm very curious to see it, too, because we had pretty decent weather across most of the Corn Belt this past week. So I think guys were definitely getting rolling. Rocking and rolling for sure. A lot of corn and soybeans were going in the ground, at least across... Yeah. Um, Eastern Iowa and uh, parts of Western Iowa. You know, those are the only places I've traveled here in this past week. It'll be very interesting to see what these numbers show. Delaney, we've had a wager going for the past several weeks. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts for today's report? What's corn okay. planting going to be? Okay, so last week we were at 67%. I'm going to say... I'm going to say close to 80. I'm going to say 78%. All right. All right. I'm going to go big. Go big or go home. Okay. I'm going to say we're at 86% planted Ooh. corn. Madison, you want to wager in? Uh, Yeah, I'll go right in the middle, like 82. Okay, so maybe. 78, yeah. 82, and 86. Is that what you said, Mike? That is what I said. How about on soybeans Delaney? Where are we going to be? What were we at last week? I can't remember. 30-something, 30, 30 31, 39, something like that? I was thinking like 40. Okay, I was thinking 39, 41, somewhere right in there. So I'm going to say... Okay. Gosh, that's hard because I feel like people are still trying to get soybeans or get corn finished up. So, yeah, last week was 39%. So I'm going to say 50% planted. 50%. All right. I think that is a very, very safe guess. That's kind of where my gut is, but because we're wagering and you don't wager on small differences, I'm going to go big again. I'm okay. going to say the American farmer got it done this last week, and I'm going to say we're at 62%. All right. I'm going to say we put 30% of soybeans or 25% of soybeans in the ground in a week. That's Madison? A, that's pretty a pretty good bet there. All right. Pretty ballsy. Uh... I was going to say 50, but I'll go in the middle again, like 55 or, yeah, 55. All right. And it's just whoever is closest. That's our new wager since we can't seem to be within one or two percentage points. <laughs> well, it's difficult whoever this year. Oh, my gosh. What's that? It is what? very difficult this year. It is. It's crazy. This is a crazy year. You know, we've got the easy job just making wagers and having fun with it. Actual growers out there mudding stuff in and trying to find dry spots in their field to actually get some things planted. You know, they've got a much harder battle than we do. That they do. That they do, Mike. 
Well, I've got something that I thought was very interesting to kind of kick off the news. Um, speaking of hard battles, back in 2014, we saw avian influenza sweep through the uh, chicken-producing areas and egg-producing areas across the country, and it was devastating. It was a huge challenge for a lot of those bird and egg producers. But scientists from the Roslyn Institute, which is not an institution I am familiar with necessarily, they found that they're able to prevent the avian influenza virus from replicating in lab-grown chicken cells. And so they think that this might prove that one day you'll be able to breed chickens that are resistant to hmm. avian influenza. I thought that was fascinating. That is very fascinating. That gives our food chain a little security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, huh. So they then basically they're doing very similar things to our friend Dr. Allison Van Inenem does using uh-huh. gene editing techniques uh-huh. to delete a section of the chicken's DNA that helps these things, helps this virus reproduce. I wonder if hmm. they can, I, I assume they could do that with African swine fever too then. I, uh, we're getting way outside my element. I have no idea. <laughs> you would think so, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if you can edit genes, you can kind of do anything. I can't wait to be able to fly with gene editing technology. I feel like this is this is part of my like conspiracy theory thing, but I feel like there is definitely some sort of pharmaceutical company or somebody that has figured out the technology to edit genes or whatever so that people don't get cancer and they just don't want to do it because they don't know how to monetize it. But they would know exactly how to monetize it. You'd charge for the gene editing, and you would be rich. That's why these conspiracy theories don't hold water, because whoever has that technology is going to be a multi, multi-billionaire. You've got the cure for cancer Maybe. or you know, whatever. I don't know. But then they don't make money off of, you know, um, what's it called when you go – Oh, Medication. gosh. Like chemo and – Chemo, radi- yes. Thank you. Chemo and radiation. Therapy. Yes. Right. But you're going to charge a heck of a lot more, and you're actually going to cure it. I know. I just. I guess I don't think people are that good about it. I don't. I don't right. believe in them. I guess. I know. Take your tinfoil hat off, Delaney. What are some <laughs> new stories you see today? Well, I think when we definitely have to talk about. Uh, that's very interesting. How it came out Friday, of course, after the markets closed, was the announcement that U.S. and Mexico have reached a deal to avoid that five percent tariff that would have gone into effect today on Mexican goods. President Trump announced the news on Friday from his Twitter account, of course, no surprise, and he tweeted this out. He said, quote, I am pleased to inform you that the United States of America has reached a signed agreement with Mexico. The tariffs scheduled to be implemented by the U.S. on Monday against Mexico are hereby indefinitely suspended. Mexico, in turn, has agreed to take strong measures to stem the tide of migration through Mexico and to our southern border. This is being done to greatly reduce or eliminate illegal immigration coming from Mexico and into the United States. Details of the agreement will be released shortly by the State Department. Thank you. And then he had another tweet that said, Mexico has agreed to immediately begin buying large quantities of agricultural product from our great patriot farmers, all in caps, lots of exclamation points. So... There's that and they have side not, of the there, story. There was no part of the deal, according to inside sources, this was reported on Reuters, that made any mention of buying any agricultural products. So I got into a discussion last night on my Twitter feed mm-hmm. with uh, with some with some folks, and their take was that what they mean is that Mexico is going to step 
back into the market and continue buying, which okay. to me well, is not news. I do I don't have know. I don't know. one thing to add to this that's a little controversial. So apparently Mexico's ambassador to the U.S., Martha, I'm going to butcher her last name, Coqui maybe is how you pronounce it. She was apparently on CBS's Face to Nation and was asked specifically whether Mexico had in fact agreed to increase imports as part of this deal. And she completely avoided answering the question and instead said that the trade was going to increase as a result of the USMCA agreement. But she did go on to say that she was absolutely certain that the trade in agricultural goods could increase dramatically in the next few months. So she was was really pretty wishy-washy, it sounds like. Right, right. Because there was there is no agreement for Mexico to step in and buy anything more than right. they would ordinarily buy. And Mexico is our number one customer of a lot of different ag products. So it's, it's good to see them still in the market. However, Delaney, there was a follow-up to this story, mm-hmm. came out today, um, as part of the agreement that was struck on Friday, the Mexican legislature is going to have to change some laws. And oh. so President Trump said that the Mexican legislature better move quick to change these laws. Otherwise, the tariffs will go right back into effect. Interesting. Yes. So the tariffs are still hanging out there as a as a possibility an enforcement yeah. mechanism, mm-hmm. I suppose, if Mexico doesn't move forward and actually, you know, cut illegal immigration by X and such a percent. We still don't know the details. Okay. How about you, Madison? What kind of news is jumping out at you in the world of agriculture? Well, I just found this one thing. Um, It's through the disaster aid bill, but they're adding kind of a category for timber. And this kind of surprised me because I never really thought as like forestry as agriculture and farming, Um, but they're adding a section that is $1.3 billion going to help any of kind of state's timber, um, any damage that has gone to them through the hurricanes and forest fires and all of that good stuff. Well, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, it was one of the things mm-hmm. I, I think I mentioned on Friday was those timber plantations in the Florida panhandle were devastated by Hurricane Michael. Mm, so it's yeah. it's nice to see those folks are going to get uh, get some of this government cheese, so to speak. <laughs> nice. <laughs> OK, well, I've got a really interesting story since we're talking about, quote, government cheese, Mike and Madison. Government. <laughs> yeah. With a B. Oh, OK. Well, anyways. Um, really interesting article on, what was it on today? Newfoodeconomy.org, but I think it's part of PBS maybe, or anyways, it looks kind of like. It sounds like shenanigans, newfoodeconomy.org. I hate it already. What's your topic? Okay. Well, anyways, they put together a really interesting article here talking about various farmers that have received way more than the $125,000 cap from various market facilitation programs. So the headline is, A farm in Missouri got $2.8 million from Trump trade war money, and hundreds more have taken triple the allowed limit. Of course, we know $125,000 is the limit, but that, of course, is per person. So if you have multiple family members... That are employees or whatever, like they can take some bailout money too. 
However, this one single mailing address in Charleston, Missouri, received $2.782 million since September of 2018 until February of 2019 because they the essentially from MFP payments yes. or are they including no, all kinds of I think they're, if they're I think it's just if MFP. going back that far. That wouldn't be MFP February of 18. That money wasn't dispersed until the last summer. Uh, well, that's what this article is saying. Well, shenanigans on this article, clearly. <laughs> are you going to let me finish? Yes. Okay. Anyways, the payments were part of the MFP program, and they have gotten essentially 12 different payments to this mailing address in Charleston. It's D-Line Farms North, D-Line Farms South, D-Line Farms Partnership. They essentially have, I think, eight different businesses registered to this one address, and so they've now gotten payments totaling over... 2.8 million or not quite 2.8 million dollars but this has apparently happened in quite a few other examples as well there have been farms in georgia that have done the same thing there have been a couple of farms you know southern what did it say i just thought that was crazy that that well i mean the way i kind of look at it is basically they've got it's it's a farm that has several different business units all established as separate companies, and each company gets to file for up to the max benefit of one hundred twenty five thousand, and you know, put in for the check. If they were uh, yeah. able to get two point eight million dollars, they must be a huge farming operation, and their impacts from these tariffs would have been astronomical. So I don't know. When you're handing out government money. People that know how to play the game are going to play the game. I know that's absolutely true. I was just, I was just blown away by that number. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious if any listeners down around Charleston, Missouri, know this farm. I top secret off the record. I would just be interested to know acres farmed and mm-hmm. you know how yeah. how big of an operation mm-hmm. are they because they must be massive. I they, you'd you'd think they'd have to be. Yeah. Yeah, if they're not, then I would say there is something shady going on. But if they are just a huge farming operation with a lot of different business entities, you know, play the game. Mm. Don't don't hate the player, Delaney. Hate the game. I know. I do hate the game. Well, I've got some other game coming out of Missouri. We talked here two or three weeks ago about the Missouri law that made it a misdemeanor to promote plant-based food products as meat. Uh, A federal judge had put that law on hold, or excuse me, they haven't put that law on hold, but they allowed a case to go forward to challenge that law. And as of right now, a federal court said on Monday that attorneys for Missouri and for vegetarian food entities, one of which is Tofurky Company, and the other is the Good Food Institute, a Washington, D.C. think tank, nonprofit thing, they are currently working in a mediation process to try to find a settlement so that these companies can continue to promote their products in Missouri, and yet this Missouri law can still be upheld. So as of right now, you still can't, you know, take your lawn clippings, press it into a burger shape, and call it meat in Missouri. Tofurky? Was that a word you just used here? Yes. Yeah, Tofurky Company is one of the companies that are Um, suing the state of Missouri. It just sounds gross. Yeah, and here was one of the things that they uh, they are fighting about. So one is veggie burger. Apparently, that would be illegal under Missouri's new law. The other one that would be illegal is vegetarian ham roast. 
veggie burger, I can see some wiggle room there. A mm-hmm. burger is just is just pressed together. Yeah, a patty formed. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I on the face of it, I don't object to a veggie burger because it tells tells me right at the front it's a vegetable based burger. But vegetarian ham roast, how the hell is that even a thing? I don't know. It's either a ham roast or it's not. This is if it's vegetarian, it is not a ham roast. It does not come from a pig. <laughs> Are they trying to say it's the same shape almost? <laughs> uh, that's got to be what it is. They took a bunch of, you know, cauliflower and Ugh. squeezed it into a mold mm. shaped like a ham roast, I suppose. Well, I haven't had lunch yet, but this definitely does not make me hungry for lunch. No, not at all. No. Anyway, the Missouri law still stands. Uh, the judge has never ruled on a request for a preliminary injunction, and they are currently working towards a settlement. So we'll keep our eye on that coming out of the uh, the show me state. Okay. Well, I have just one other quick piece of news to update our listeners on as well. Going back into the trade scene here, beginning today, the U.S. and Japan are going to start holding working level talks in D.C. to discuss the actual technical aspects of getting a trade deal in place for both the industrial and the agricultural industries. So good news there. Yeah. Yeah, good news indeed. So it does sound like from that comment, though, that we will be taking kind of a piecemeal approach and perhaps doing, you know, maybe an industrial and agricultural trade deal first and then addressing other pieces of our trade balance later on. Hmm, interesting. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yes, we will. But I'm out of news. Madison, Mike, you guys have anything else? I am all out. I've got just one other piece of news. It is a drum I love to beat, and it is Chinese exports to the U.S. Despite higher U.S. tariffs, the trade deficit that the U.S. has with China grew to a four-month high earlier, or excuse me, in the month of May. So tariffs are not only making things more expensive for Americans and charging us an extra tax, they are also not doing anything to shrink our trade deficit with China. Again, worthless stupid policy that i hate and now i'm out of news okay well why don't you read us the commodity markets let's do that folks let's jump into the commodity markets they are brought to us by our friends at the zaner group remember you can get in touch with our friends at zaner use them to manage your marketing risk use them to put a marketing plan in place and stick to it through a volatile season by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 Well, the trade was on both sides of unchanged today, but really finished mostly in the green pretty well across all the markets. Uh, One exception, of course, is the corn market. Mixed trade here. July contract was unchanged on the day at 4.15 and three quarters. December up three quarters of a cent at 4.34 and three quarters. In soybeans, the July was up two and a quarter at 8.58 and a half, with November new crop up two and three quarters to finish the day at 8.85 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, July up three cents, finished at 5.07 and a half. September up two and a quarter quarter closed the day at 511 and three quarters the big winners on the day were livestock producers august live cattle up the daily trading three dollar limit up the up the limit i should say $106.30 where the close was. October up 265 to finish at 107.15. Feeder cattle also strong gains today. The August up 257.50 at 139.82.5. September up 237.50 to close at 139.72.5. And again, strength in lean hogs. The July not quite limit up. Finished up 285 at 86.20. The August up 222.5 to close at 84.85. 
Jumping over to the dairy markets in class three milk today, we did see some strength. The June contract was up four cents at 1630 with the July up eight to close at 1672. Now, today is hashtag Market Monday. So we're joined by our good friend, Matthew Bennett. Well, it is hashtag Market Monday. As promised at the top of the episode, we are joined by our friend, Matt Bennett. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You? Can't complain a bit, buddy, but I got to ask you a question. We are talking before planting progress and crop conditions get reported or get released later this afternoon. So I got to ask you, how do things look in your part of the world? How are things over in Illinois? Yeah, I'd say we've we've caught up over the last week. You know, uh, when people say planters have rolled, uh, our, our area is certainly one of those areas that was blessed. Uh, we were able to get most of our planting done. Our, our corn finished up there last week before the insurance date. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people rushing to beat that insurance date. Uh, to be honest, some of the people that uh, had done so, uh, interestingly, are begging for a rain at this point because the forecast last week is that we were going to get rain pretty much uh, starting on Tuesday evening uh, for three or four days straight. And so a lot of folks were trying to beat that and plan it into what I would say uh, maybe less than ideal conditions. And then we didn't get any rain at all in most places uh, around us. And so, um, you know, that, that's a problem, and I think that it's uh, one in which uh, has occurred in a lot of areas is that uh, people uh, have gone from uh, wanting the rain to stop to needing the rain all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, parts of Iowa that I've been driving around have been dustier than heck. Just gravel roads used to having uh, little wetter conditions. But, Matt, i got to ask, we pulled back in the grain markets end of last week. Today, on Monday, we traded, you know, barely above green here. But... We've really pulled back pretty substantially since maybe a couple reports ago when we saw very delayed planting. Even if we do pick up pace on today's report, I mean, I I have to think that this crop isn't going to be that great of a corn or soybean crop, even if we do get stuff mudded in, so to speak. You know, last week, uh, most people were able to get their hands on uh, some of the data from Iowa State and from the University of Illinois on late plantings. Uh, I know that the data from Iowa State said uh, planted after June 5th would, would cause a 25% yield drag on average, uh, whereas if it was after June the 20th, it would be up to a 40% yield drag. And so, you know, I think producers certainly see that, but at the same time, uh, we haven't seen prices sustained above 430 uh, you know, for a couple, three years. And so I think producers are, are thinking that not only are prices looking good right now, but uh, we want to go ahead and keep pushing, uh, you know, because the uh, prices might get quite a bit better later. And I think they're using the same logic that you're using in, in, in that it's going to be tough for this crop uh, to really put a solid yield up. So, of course, there's two parts of the equation uh, yield and acreage. And it'll be very interesting to see on Tuesday this week what the USDA has to say they're going to go ahead and make an adjustment, which they've done in extreme years. And I, I can't uh, I can't imagine anybody would ever accuse 2019 of being anything other than extreme. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, so you mentioned something there that, that to me is huge as growers are getting ready to make some sales here north of 430 D19. How aggressive should they be on looking to reown if we're making some cash sales or if we're selling on the board? How much are you a proponent of selling or of, excuse me, of buying some calls in here, even with the elevated call prices? You know, the thing is that we always try to talk to our producers about is 
we want to buy calls when the market's dead. Now, nobody really knew that we were going to see the type of weather that we're going to see. Yeah, a lot of producers are sitting on long calls. I think that that has been a fashionable play the last three or four years. Uh, this year it certainly is working well. But if you're a producer who hasn't bought the calls yet, you know, do you uh, make a sale and then protect, quote, unquote? I think that what we have to look at is what's my crop look like personally? Uh, where is my cost of production? And, and can I make money if I'm selling at uh, whatever, 435 basis a piece, uh, depending on what my basis is with a normal crop? Can I do well there? And uh, I don't know that we need to overcomplicate things if our sales strategy isn't super aggressive yet. And I'm not sure that I would want it to be super aggressive until I know a little bit more about uh, what this total crop might look like. I would like to get a little better idea on acreage, uh, first of all. And second of all, uh, as stressful as this spring was, I, th- I feel like we've taken some of the ball out of the hands of, of this corn crop. Uh, you know, adding water to a crop that started off great but got dry, you know, you still have a bumper crop. Uh, but whenever you have a crop that gets a start like this one got, uh, you can't fix it. You know, there's only so much a corn crop can do that's been extremely stressed going in or is going in too late. You can still have good corn, uh, but the 250s and the 260s, for most folks, are, are going to be more nothing more than a pipe dream this year. Yeah, absolutely. So yield and, and uh, acreage are obviously important questions, and you mentioned we've got the WASD report coming out tomorrow. Do you think USDA touches either of those two numbers at this point, or is that something we see happen later in the growing season? You know, we've seen precedents for them to do so, and I and I, I have to think that this year would be one of those years in that we've never seen so many acres uh, unplanted uh, of corn going into the June 1st. And so uh, certainly I would think that there's a reason for the USDA to do so. Now, before people get too bold up, we've got to keep in mind that our demand has been lackluster, to say the least, recently. And so while they may cut production, they may cut acreage and yield as far as that goes, it's very likely that they'll cut into exports. Uh, and, you know, they may cut into ethanol demand as well. So uh, we have to understand that if the price is going to rally, you know, 70 to 90 cents, uh, you know, as far as corn's concerned, that typically what that's doing is it's trying to uh, curb demand somewhat. And uh, I think that it got the job done. Gotcha. Well, Matt, I got to jump over. You know, we're, we are seeing a lot of progress being made on soybean plantings. We're still seeing beans maintain. You know, we lost that nine, nine, nine handle, but we're still there at 885 November. What are your thoughts here on the soybean market? Are we going to see as many bean acres as we're anticipated? You know, the interesting thing on beans that I've heard from a lot of producers in the last week, we've been trying to get a really good handle on what kind of prevent plant decisions were going on out there. Our producers going to switch some corn acres over to beans. And I think, you know, what we've heard the most is that producers are going to try to plant corn as long as they could, and there might actually be a fair amount of prevent plant on beans if the weather pattern doesn't change, particularly in, uh, for instance, Indiana, uh, Ohio and the northern tiers of those states and southern Michigan, you know, there could be a fair amount of prevent plant on soybeans that would actually occur. So, you know, I think the way this soybean market is set up, uh, I think acreage could still be fairly decent sized, uh, but we probably, you know, we, we can't get too excited even if we would see an acreage cut because 
you know, the, the supply fundamentals of this main market are, are in pretty tough shape. But that being said, what, what's the yield look like whenever you're planting two-thirds of it after June 1st? You know, uh, uh, early planting on yields is, uh, has been credited with these huge yields the last few years. And I know on our farm we feel pretty confident uh, that the genetics are better, but the early planting is what's gotten us these huge yields. So you got to think that planting this late is going to have an adverse effect on soybean yields as well. So time will only tell, but I do think that the soybeans are going to have some support because there's a lot of question marks to this 2019 crop. There are a lot of question marks, Matt, and uh, I-, I think it's safe to say we don't necessarily need more soybeans. We don't need record yields this year with the large carryout that we keep talking about how much potential then do we have to see some sort of support or rally if we continue to have these, you know, wet seasons, wet growing conditions, maybe not at record yields this year, or folks taking prevent plant? Do we have that much of a window here in the soybean markets to gain much strength? You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens at 3 o'clock on Monday here. Uh, What kind of progress did we see? Because there's no question that people were trying really hard last week to get corn in the ground because of the prevent plant date. Uh, folks were trying to get it in the ground before the 5th if they absolutely could in those areas where uh, their, their date was the 5th. And so I'm not sure the soybean uh, progress as a percentage will come close to what corn progress was. So, you know, I think that if the crop uh, is, is perceived to go in the ground, um, ground excessively late, uh, yeah, I do think that uh, you could still see some support for the beans, but at the same time, uh, you know, I don't know that I would want to get too carried away with uh, with that outlook. I think if you could see the corn market rally and the wheat market rally, I don't think there's any question that beans would be able to participate. You know, one thing that could underpin the bean prices a little bit is there's a lot of talk that we could see a significant yield drop uh, with these late plantings. And so, you know, if you do end up with similar acres to what intentions was, maybe you have 84, 85 million acres, uh, but you end up talking about a mid-40s type yield, then you're starting to actually uh, cut into your bean carry a little bit, which uh, should be nothing but uh, at least mildly supportive. Mildly supportive. Again, I got to ask you, marketing strategies for guys that are getting their beans in the ground, they're looking at 885 November. They're thinking, hey, I'm profitable up in here with whatever beans I got planted. Again, is it worth reowning in some form or fashion? You know, that's the thing with soybeans. It's a tough, tough call. Uh, and, I, and I'll just tell you the way that we're handling it uh, with the producers I'm working with. You know, we always try to make sure we know exactly what it what they can make money at. So if if they feel like uh, their yield's been maybe trimmed back to a 55 bushel, uh, you know, uh, yield, it would be their guess on average right now with normal weather. Uh, I want to know at 55 bushel, can they make money selling at 885 basis support? Because if they can, then we would probably go ahead and lock some of those in. Do I want to reown that type of uh, uh, sales price for soybeans? If I did. It would sure be on a very limited risk basis. Uh, I don't want to get terribly cute here. I think that, uh, you know, the last few years, soybeans have been wildly profitable. And what we've tried to tell our producers is, you know, this year looks like the year of the corn, if you will, uh, as far as profitability is concerned. It doesn't look like uh, the chances that we're going to see soybean profitability anywhere near we've seen it in the last uh, few years. Uh I, I just don't think it's in the cards. And so I think we've got to be very cautious as to compare ourselves to 
previous years and just simply be okay maybe on soybeans uh, with a base hit here. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Just take the money, stick it in your pocket, and be happy with it. <laughs> I want to jump. Oh, sorry, Delaney, go ahead. Well, no, I I like that analogy there, Mike. Um, I was just going to take it over to the uh, the cattle markets because both live cattle and feeder cattle had a very strong day today. Matt, do you think that the bottoms are in for both of those two markets? Well, I sure hope so. You know, it's been a rough go here these last few weeks uh, as far as cattle markets concerned. But, you know, what do you expect whenever you see uh, feed costs continue to go up? I think that uh, people got a little bit gun shy of buying feeders. You know, a lot of folks bought feeders in the last few months in that 150, 160 range and felt pretty good about doing it. But then all of a sudden, corn prices take an 80 cent leap and it, it changes the outlook of everything. And so, uh, you know, I think that the, the corn market backing off just a little bit has certainly helped the mindset of those who want to get uh, get some cattle bought. But as far as fats are concerned, you know, I, I was surprised that we had as much weakness as we did. Yes, numbers are still awfully good, but bottom line is we're entering into a time of year when we typically see very strong demand for beef. Uh, we're entering into grilling season. I, I feel like uh, lows are in for fats for right now. I think as far as feeders are concerned, they might actually distance themselves a little more from fats. Uh, a lot of that would be highly dependent upon uh, where feed prices go. So, for instance, what a corn price is going to do here in the next few weeks. And I think feeders will be uh, watching that very closely. Absolutely. We're always going to see feeders and corn. That relationship is going to play itself out, and guys are going to do their best to find a break even. The other market that really moved today, and I'm guessing, Matt, it was on Mexico tariff relief, but I want to get your thoughts, is the lean hog market. Oh, almost the limit today. Uh, is this something that's sustainable? I don't know about sustainable at this point. You know, we saw a lot of fervor with the, uh, with the, with the hog market there for a while around the Chinese news. We knew that uh, there was going to be a significant amount of demand coming from uh, that part of the world, whether it came from us or from wherever. Uh, bottom line, we knew that uh, uh, there was going to be huge implications. And so we backed off significantly from there. You come in here and you find out that uh, uh, tariffs uh, are not going to happen, at least for the time being. Uh, I guess I've got to trust that that's going to be the case at least uh, until we get done recording this podcast. But, uh, you know, the frustrating thing for me is, uh, is, uh, the way that this, uh, the ag markets, for instance, have been kind of pushed around and used as a pawn, if you will. Uh, fortunately, hogs were on the right side of that today. Uh, sustainable. I'm not so sure. I don't know that I'd want to be buying them in here. All right. Well, Matt, I think that'll do it for today. Before we let you go, how can folks get a hold of you if they've got uh, got specific questions or want to chat with you? Well, people have always went to my website, bankconsulting.net, but now that uh, I'm brokering with uh, uh, the guys that are on my team, we're agmarket.net. That uh, website's a good place to go to get a hold of me. Uh, you can find all my contact info there, whether it be email or phone number, and that's what I would recommend people do to try to get a hold of me. All right. Fantastic. Listeners, be sure to take advantage of that. Also, you can find him on Twitter at Chief321. He's Mr. Bennett. You can always uh, get his thoughts on the markets and the farming operation over there. Matt Bennett, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, huge thank you to Matt there, kind of walking us through all the markets. Um, and uh, 
how can our listeners find us on social media? Great question, Madison. They should, of course, head over to at Ag News Daily on Twitter and on Facebook. They will find us there. We want to get their thoughts. We want to know what's happening in your part of the world. I, I'd love to see some pictures. How are things looking? Yeah. we got crop progress coming out. What do you see right in your neck of the woods? Tweet at us, Facebook us, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, message us, I suppose. I'm not good at Facebook, but uh, we want to hear from you. Delaney, if they want to get caught up on past episodes, where should they go on the World Wide Web? Oh, absolutely. Well, you can catch us on most active podcast platforms, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. But you can always listen to us at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. If you're uh, maybe listening to us at work from your laptop or computer, do also check out some of the great podcasts we have available on the Global Ag Network as well. Just launched a really great one last week with Premier Crop Systems. And I tell you what, in times like this where you have kind of a strange growing season, it maybe makes sense to look a little more deeply at some of the data that you're using. So do check out that podcast as well. The Premier Podcast, folks, find it any place you get podcasts. Download it. One episode is up right now. The rest are coming very shortly. And uh, it'll give you something to think about. Absolutely. Well, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>